Welcome to the Deerfield Family Theater Podcast. In this episode, I had the privilege and honor to speak with Danny Abosh, a Deerfield native and the music writer and lyrics co-writer for Fancy Nancy the Musical. Speaking of Fancy Nancy the Musical, in case you're tuning in and didn't already know, DFT's very first Theater for Young Audiences, or TYA, is putting on a performance of Fancy Nancy the Musical this August of 2023. Performances start Thursday, August 3rd through Sunday, August 6th. Visit Deerfield theater.com and get your tickets without further delay here's the interview danny abosh welcome to the dft podcast we're so happy to have a deerfield native on the show welcome (laughs) thank you happy to be here so i still i mean longtime listeners know over the last two to three years like i i'm still the newest board member on the dft board but as i understand you have a history since you you know, grew up in Deerfield that you were actually in a few DFT shows. Tell us about that. (laughs) I was. I I think I was actually in the very first DFT show, which was Dear Edwina, when I was in sixth grade, which is probably like year 2000 or 2001, something like that. And then I was also in The Music Man, my freshman year of high school. And then I was in Susicle, my sophomore year of high school. So So, yeah, I'm very, very familiar with with DFT and uh, very, very special to be coming home to it in a way. And, and in case you didn't read the description of the show in the show notes yet, we're having Danny on here, not because of the history that you have with DMT, but because of our upcoming show, our, our first TYA performance, Fancy Nancy the Musical. You had a little bit of involvement in that. So why don't you tell our listeners what, what, what you did for the show? Sure. Well, I wrote the music and I co-wrote the lyrics with my collaborator, Susan. And... This is really exciting, especially for a father of a two and a half year old who like loves the Fancy Nancy show. And I understand it's like a totally different story, but with the same characters that that we know and love. I mean, like we've told my daughter we're getting we're going to go see Fancy Nancy live and she's like so ecstatic. <laughs> but other than that excitement, like what like how did that come to be? Like, when did you get this opportunity and what was that like? Yeah, so it was basically my first year in New York. I, I had just moved for grad school at NYU. And basically there was this children's theater company in town, Vital Theater Company, that they were looking actually just for an orchestrator at the time for one of their other shows. And so I submitted the CD of my musical Placebo, really just as a a demo of my orchestrations, not even as a composer, but, and for some reason it didn't work out with the timing, I think, because I was just starting grad school, but they said basically like, hey, we actually really like your music too. When you get into town, why don't you come talk to us and see if we can work on something together. And so I did. And one of the titles that I pitched was Fancy Nancy, which I, I knew because the previous year I had been student teaching at an elementary school in Michigan. My my undergrad was in music education. And the kids loved these Fancy Nancy books in the elementary school where I was working. So I was already familiar with the books and thought it'd be a great idea for a musical. And it happened to be something that was on their radar too. So it just, it just made sense. And they were like, let's do this. And then they paired me up with Susan, who had already done a few other shows with them. And then the whole thing was really quick, honestly. Like it, it I think I started writing it in April, really, of 2012. And by September, it was opening off Broadway. So very, very quick. Gee, then, I just in light of the timing, then, I wonder if Disney Junior was inspired by the musical to have all this music stuff in the TV show that they came out with yeah, in I mean, like, the... what, 2018 or something. 
Yeah, the the musical definitely predates the Disney show by by quite a few years. I have no idea if it inspired it or not, but it it definitely the musical was first. Come on, you didn't see any royalty checks from Disney when they started to do music? <laughs> so waiting. Show? Still waiting, Disney. <laughs> well, you know, as, as a lawyer, Danny, you and I will have an off-call conversation and we'll see about those licensing rights. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> but uh, so, so good. So I'm glad that we, we got that out there. Like, this is why you're on the show is because you, you, you're the reason why we're going to be taking our kids and our families to listen to this incredible music for this for the production. <laughs> but let's learn more about you. So, so you grew up in Deerfield. Like, were you, like, when did you start... Like, what's your history of getting involved in the performing arts and musicals and such? Well, I, I'm I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast, but truly it was Deerfield Family Theater. Because the, the first play I ever did was Dear Edwina with Deerfield Family Theater in, I think, 2000. And that was really what what bit the bug for me. I mean, it, it was really that, that first experience with theater. And I was terrified also. Like, massive stage fright back then. And... Oh, and I forgot to say, you know who else was in that cast for Dear Edwina? Hmm. Allie Bloom, who ended up being the original Nancy off-Broadway. Yeah, so how's that for, for some full circle connections there? That's another crazy coincidence. But yeah, no, it was really it was really Dear Edwina. And it was also, it was, it was a very cool experience because Dear Edwina was also a show written by a Deerfield native, Marcy Heisler, and Zena Goldbridge, although I don't think Zena's from Deerfield, but Marcy is. And she came to see the show and we got to meet her. And it was like, you know, so cool meeting the lyricist of the show. And it was just a really special, special show with that cast. And we were, we were like all like really close friends. We stayed close friends for basically, you know, all of high school and everything too. And so, yeah, I mean, so after that, I did end up doing like the the school musicals and so I, I like it, it uh, Crusoe Middle School is where I went for middle school and then Deerfield High School. And I was in like all the musicals there. And then I did two more Deerfield shows and and several other shows at Northbrook Theater. And then, so yeah, it, it was, but it was really that first experience with Dear Lena that was like, oh man, theater, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like anyone, like that's always a kid's first experience. They feel that way. And, and my kid will go to Caruso and then, and then. Deerfield High School. So, you know, I'm not going to force her to do theater stuff. I'm going to certainly expose her to it. Uh, Starting really with like Fancy Nancy, which is really exciting. So, so DFT played like a pivotal role in like where you ended up today, really, like for what you do professionally. Yeah. I mean, that was my first theatrical experience. Yeah. So for all, and I I promise I'm not just saying it because I'm on your podcast. It really, (laughs) it really, it really is true. You can fact check me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there's been a through line through all of our episodes. I try to, you know, encourage parents like performing arts still has value and, you know, it could lead to some sort of career in the future, right? Like it doesn't mean they're going to be like a, a, you know, a Broadway performer per se, but there's a lot of opportunities in the industry and life lessons that you learn and, and even opportunities, you know, even just exposure to something new for the first time allows people to explore talents or skills that they didn't know they had or that they loved. And so it sounds like that. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're a prime example of, of that, of the, the impact that getting involved in, in community theater can have on, on someone. Right. Well, and, and I also totally agree that it, it it's not just, you know, the, the people that go on to do this professionally that it's valuable for. I think it's also just as valuable for the people that don't end up doing this professionally, but, but have theater as part of their lives somehow, you know, if they continue to do community theater or they just continue to enjoy it as an audience member. I mean, I think it's really valuable for, for all those reasons too. And, and as 
generative AI begins to replace white collar jobs <laughs> or, or like like but like the thinking jobs. I think, yeah. you know, there are creatives who are concerned that generative AI will replace them. But I feel but since it's only trained on what humans create, I actually think like creativity will be where and like creative things or it will be where people are making their money in the future because generative AI is taking care of all the vanilla, you know, thinking stuff that, that we used to pay attorneys a lot of money for. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. I, I think probably most of my industry would not agree with you. So it, it's a little bit of a controversial opinion, but I, I totally agree that, that first of all, I, I think the technology is not really there for AI to really write a musical that anyone would want to see, particularly today. I, I do think in, in the future we could get there. And at that point, it becomes a more interesting question. But I... I am not terribly worried about AI taking my job. <laughs> I and and I tend to think that that if it did, then great. You know, like it it it's I, I want better musicals in the world. And so if AI is capable of writing them, I, I'm still skeptical that it could be, but I'm not gonna just say, well, let let's, you know, let's fight tooth and nail to to block that just because we can. <laughs> Yeah, and and and, and you know there, there's a lot happening within like the industry, if you will, with this with the union strikes going on, right? You know, right now, right. and AI is is playing a yeah, big that's part one of, of the, it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's one of the the controversial points of that. Yeah, and and you know, it's a different it's different when you're talking about somebody's image and likeness, or or how they or their voice, and like creating you know duplicates of them and being able to use them without royalties. Like that is like right. Yeah, that, when you're training the model on someone else's copyrighted work that that does become legally complicated as i'm sure you know as a lawyer <laughs> yeah yeah so i think that i think that it really does open up opportunities for for creativity and how you interface with it it's like you know there used to be the job of typists you right. know where like people would type stuff for you but then the technology right. came around that you didn't have to do that anymore you know right. that it was you know and we all learned how to type when we were younger so i still feel like this technology is going to be like something like that, where we're all just going to use it and incorporate it into what we do to make us better at what we do. So, so I'm not super worried about, about that. But, but when, when all of our, like, like let's say just most dystopian future, AI yeah. has taken all of our jobs, what do we have left over to do? But enjoy each other's company and tell stories <laughs> and experience that stuff. So like, I don't see the arts ever going away for that reason. That's just, that's just my opinion, controversial or not. Right. Um, no, I, I agree. And I, I think Probably the arts will be the last job that AI comes for because it it just it I mean the the act of artistic expression is just such a human thing to begin with. It's not I think something that a, a machine can easily do. I, I can see how a machine could edit a contract. I can see how a machine could figure out how to automate tasks in Excel and stuff like that. I've even seen you know there's a lot of of really interesting AI visual art out there. You know stuff like Midjourney is is creating some really interesting stuff, but it, it still looks a little bit mechanical in a way. And mm -hmm. and there, I don't think you're ever going to really replace human expression. E even artists, there was like some woman who like created like a comic book using it and she trained the model based on her own artwork so that she could more quickly produce the work more efficiently. So like smaller folks who like don't have a bunch of funding or they're not sitting on a pile of money, like this could be an affordable way for them to do something. But but but, but we're, we're sort of like getting way off into left field here. <laughs> the, you know, 
I can talk about come, this forever. <laughs> yeah, people don't come to the DFT podcast to listen about how generative AI is changing changing <laughs> arts. And barring any potential changes that might have to what I, the next question I'm about to ask you, but for the parents listening or the kids listening that they maybe want to follow in your footsteps, you know, take us through that. So then you performed a lot through high school, and then you mentioned where you went to school. So, like, what did you study there? Like, did you always want to do what you do? Like, take us through your professional journey so that others can learn from it. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, as I mentioned, I did theater all throughout middle school and high school. For college, for, for my undergrad, I, I did music education at the University of Michigan, specifically choral music education. And then I did a master's program at NYU for this, for writing musical theater. It's kind of the only program of its kind where it's it's like an MFA program in writing musicals, essentially. So yeah, that, that was my path. It's certainly not the only path. And I, I certainly don't think this is a career you need two college degrees for. But in, and also like there are alternatives like the BMI program that's that's very popular and there's a lot of writers groups that are are really good places to get training. But I also think that like one of the most valuable ways to learn to do this is to see a lot of musicals and listen to a lot of musicals and study a lot of musicals. And Even starting at a young age, like going to DFT's TYA production of Fancy Nancy the Musical? Just like that. Yes, just like that. Or what I did, which is going to the Deerfield Library and checking out five CDs every week and studying them. Do, do people still use CDs? I'm not sure. Maybe everything's on Spotify now. But that's what I did back in the back in the old days is I, I rented out actual physical CDs from the Deerfield Library of uh, musical cast albums and studied them until I had them memorized, basically. And you, you really learn a lot that way about how musicals are structured and what makes them tick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And great shout out to the Deerfield Library because they're a friend of the show. We've had somebody from the library on the podcast. And so listeners, if you missed that episode, go back and look for it in our back catalog because Dylan Zavagno goes through all of the musical theater type resources and play resources that the library has. And you could even go get the sheet music and stuff if you wanted to learn it. Yeah. So it's it's really incredible. And, and a lot of videos that you could like if you wanted to watch the musical you know they have a lot of those too so and librettos too for some for some shows they have the published libretto in, in book form yeah yeah but yeah great resource the the deerfield library for for all that and there'll be a reading so depending on when you're listening to this episode so this episode is going to go live shortly after it's recorded but i believe on the 25th uh, this will be in the show notes. So in the show notes, it will say when the Deerfield Library is having a reading of Fancy Nancy as part of this experience of Fancy Nancy through to the to the the musical. So definitely go to the library and check that out. Link in the show notes. So so anything else about like your your professional journey that like something that you wish you would have known back then, you know, that you know now that would have helped oh you get gosh, to where you so are. Many, so that's, many. Things. This is why we're here, Danny. Uh, Please, and you know, indulge us. Yeah. Well, I mean. Not, not so much in terms of the artistic side, but more in terms of the business side. I, I think there were a lot of things that I, I mean, I'm sure you know this as a lawyer, but knowing sort of how the business side works and a, and a basic understanding of how contracts work and, and you know, what sort of things you should be asking for in a negotiation, those sorts of things are really important. And, and most people learn them a little too late, I think. A, lo a lot of people kind of just trust someone else to take care of that for them and and just, you know, they're they're an expert in in making art and they're not, you know, really well-versed in the business side. And, and sometimes they become well-versed in the business side 
by getting burned a couple of times and and realizing that they have to get better on the side. So that that's one thing is, is try to see if, if you can find a course in that to or, or you know have a mentor that can kind of show you the ropes of some of that. But as far as the artistic side, I would say also just start writing as, as soon as you can. If, if if writing musicals is what you think you want to do, or even if you're not sure, you're you're gonna learn so much. And, and really more than than you could any other way just from writing, even if if your writing at first is not very good, as is the case for most of us, I think. <laughs> my first musical, I, I, I think, is not my best work, but it was a valuable step on the road to where I am now. I learned a lot from doing it. And premiered it in Deerfield, by the way. <laughs> it, was, it was my senior year of high school that I wrote it. That's I mean, early, right? I mean, senior, you, know, you hadn't even graduated from high school and you you were writing. So I think that's, you know... I think that's a great takeaway. And the business yeah. side of things, like can't, can't like that that is such important advice, right? Whatever we do, we're so interested in the thing that we do that even even lawyers are not necessarily great business people because they're good <laughs> at the they're good at the law stuff. And there has yeah. been a whole new area called legal operations that has come up where now law firms are hiring operations professionals to run the law firms and in-house departments are hiring non-lawyers to help run the legal departments because they're business minded because the lawyers are just good at the law stuff. So even I think that's just like with the artists, right? And and lately I've been saying law is more like an art than a science anyway because it's just a sliding mm -hmm. scale and and you know a judge or a jury is going to ultimately decide if you can't resolve your dispute on your own and yeah. dealing with people's emotions and stuff is like <laughs> art, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but that can't be understated, and and I think you know finding like competent legal counsel that you could trust, a fight, an accountant, yes. a CPA, you know, especially if you're you're you know depending on the nature of the work that you're doing, you know, a good manager if you're the talent, you know, that kind of yeah. thing, like yeah. you know, to try to go it on your own can be can be kind of risky, you know, you will learn yeah. the hard way. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people think that like all I really need is a good agent, and I would say having a good lawyer is more important than having a good agent. If you get the right lawyer, they can also sort of act as your agent, but not the other way around <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> right. And and some agents are lawyers, but not all agents are lawyers. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't right. want this to become a sales pitch to, to hire attorneys here. <laughs> no, no, no. No, for sure. <laughs> but you started it, Danny. You started it. I did because um, I believe so, it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, no, it's, I think it's a really good lesson. It's not something that people think about. Right. Or, or, or uh, of course, if, if the, if the, you know, artistic merit isn't there, then none of, none of, nothing else matters, really. You know, I mean, you, you have to be good at the craft first for any of the other stuff to, to even matter. But once you are, I, I will say there, I, I know a lot of, and it really makes me sad. I know a lot of really, really great artists that, just don't have the skills on the you know business and marketing side to really get themselves to a, a platform where anyone's going to really enjoy their art. So it, it's you really have to have a little bit of both, I think. Yeah, I mean, and even like I'm looking something I have pulled up while I'm interviewing you that I don't always have for all my guests is your website, right? And so like it dannyabosch.com link in the show notes it's just your name.com great to Thanks get your domain plug. right <laughs> yep. it's great i i have my name.com as well because you know it's good to have your name domain yeah well that's uh, another good tip is it, it, anyone listening go, go buy your your name.com right now if you don't already have it <laughs> right right and and uh especially and if that, you have a common name that someone else might have yeah and and i think that being able to do that stuff and think about cuz like 
a website is marketing, but it's also a highly technical thing. So do you make your own website? Do you outsource that? You know, what tools do you use? You know, yep. like th- things like that. But but in light of what you do, you know, if you're pitching, you know, your musical to get picked up or, you know, published or produced or what have you, you know, that's sales. And like having those skills could be really important. And even if you're just the For talent, sure. selling yourself to the director or the casting person, you know, like sales is another important skill to develop, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it so can't be undersold all those other things. But like you said, have the talent and develop your, <laughs> your talent while, you know, while you're young or earlier on. That comes first. So let's talk about your pandemic experience because <laughs> doing what you do and being in the industry, you know, the pandemic affected all of us in different ways, yeah. but especially, you know, the performing arts and live theater and musicals and such. I mean, people could always listen to the music right. without having to go in person. But, you know, what right. was your pandemic experience like and the people who you know in the industry what what was your perspective on that yeah well it was it was very tough i mean i i you know I'll make a lot of my income from licensing live performances of my work so <laughs> the pandemic was a time when when live performances could not happen and so that was a big hit financially and i think it was for a lot of artists too i i had shows canceled and i know other artists that had shows canceled too so really what i did during the pandemic was I worked on my Goosebumps album because that was kind of the one thing I could do is is work on an album, you know, where I could be basically, you know, editing and mixing alone at home. And, you know, it, it took a lot of time anyway, and it was something that I wanted to do anyway. So it was, it was basically almost, it was almost convenient that it, that it happened to work out that way. Not that anything about this pandemic was convenient, but it was... It, it was a good project to have at that time because it was one that fortunately I could do at home by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, aside from the you know actual recording of the actors in the studio, which even then it's like they're they're isolated in a different room, so it's like you know it, it's still actually a pretty COVID safe activity. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about then about Goosebumps. This is the most recent thing that you've 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 done that's out there. Yeah, yeah. It's Goosebumps the musical based on the books by R.L. Stein. And I wrote the music and co-wrote the lyrics with my collaborator, John McClay, who did the book. And yeah, it's based on Phantom of the Auditorium. And we did a cast album that we released in 2021 with a bunch of Broadway stars in the cast. Alex Brightman, Christine Alabato, Noah Galvin, Stephanie Stiles, Will Rowland, Cheryl Lee Ralph. And Arl Stein himself actually also has a cameo. Hey, so <laughs> that is super cool. Yeah, no, it was it was kind of a dream come true as, as a, a kid that grew up reading Goosebumps to uh, to be able to get Arl Stein to do a cameo role on the album. That was that was pretty wild. So did you get to like talk to Arl Stein and like I did to know yeah. him a little bit. I did. I we we had a few phone conversations. We we didn't ever meet up in person because again it was during COVID. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually like sent him some recording gear to to record his his stuff and send it back to me like some microphones and, and stuff like that in, the, in a little package but yeah no we we got to chat on the phone a little bit which was very very cool yeah yeah that's really something and then because you also had to presumably get like the rights for goosebumps to like do right. the musical thing right right of course yeah yeah a lot of licensing stuff so you yeah. know in licensing is a legal thing everybody everybody <laughs> all the listeners to bring it back to that so then moving on to like you as a as a an individual for a performer i'd like to know of all the plays that you've performed in even if they were just in you know middle school and high school yeah. or, or musicals like what was one of your favorite performances that you yourself were in 
Well, yeah. So I, I haven't performed since high school. So the last play I was in was really in high school. But I would say the most memorable ones that I was in, probably Into the Woods, my junior year of high school, and Pajama Game, my senior year of high school, and Hello, Dolly. Those are probably the three that come to mind first. But I don't know. It's I, I'm tempted to throw Jiradwina in there, too, just because it was the very first. and It was the one that yeah. sort of lit that spark. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. And then putting on your audience member cap for a yeah. second, you know, what has been some of your favorite performances to to just be able to enjoy? Recently or like in my whole life? Both. <laughs> All right. Well, recently I thought I thought the Broadway revival of Sweeney Todd was excellent, which, you know, it's hard to ruin Sweeney Todd, but th- this was this was an especially good production, I thought. So that and, and also Parade was very good. And then in my whole life, boy, that's that's hard to say. I I mean, I was at one of the very first previews of Hamilton at the public back when nobody knew what it was. <laughs> that was that was pretty special. That was a night I won't forget. So that's got to be up there. Uh, Newsies, weirdly, was a special show for me. It was like the first year I moved to New York, and it was one of my favorite movies growing up. So. I saw it at Paper Mill before it transferred, and then I was also at the first preview on Broadway just because I was a big fan. So that was pretty special. Sometimes um, I st- I will still get, like, as an earworm, like, I'll just start, like, humming, like, open the gates and seize. <laughs> it's so catchy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's I so feel catchy. you. I feel you there. Yeah, that's uh, a great one. So then I'm really, I, I've been asking for a while now this question of all my guests. And so I'm really curious to know your answer specifically to this question, which is whether, assuming you could go see the musical, is it okay to listen to the soundtrack before you go see the musical? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's not only okay. I, I actually really like doing that because I, I feel like I enjoy musicals more when I know the music. And and I, I am also someone that it takes a few times of hearing the music for me to actually really know it. So I, I actually feel like I get a lot more out of a musical if I go in knowing it. The the trade-off, of course, is that there are spoilers. <laughs> so sometimes what I'll do is, is you know, I'll avoid listening to the last few tracks of an album just in case, like, that's where the big twist comes. Or mm-hmm. just to keep something to, to like, be, in, you know, anticipating not knowing how it ends. That That's, that's one trick you can use. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm... I don't know. I'm I'm not your typical audience member anyway, since I'm I'm more interested a lot of the time in studying how these musicals are made and, and picking them apart than I am just sitting there and enjoying it. So mm-hmm. from that perspective, I'm not so bothered by the spoilers of of you know that are on the album. But I don't know. If if I was just a normal audience member, maybe I would feel differently. But I'm I'm gonna go with yes, it's totally okay to listen to the music first. <laughs> Speaking of listening to soundtracks of musicals, we already mentioned your website and you're on Spotify too for all the stuff all your music. I am. I am. Yeah, my my cast album for Goosebumps is on there. So you can go check that out. And also Fancy Nancy is on there with Allie Bloom, Freefield Zone. So check that out. Allie is wonderful on that album. And uh, yeah, and, and like you said, you might if you're gonna see the show and you should. Maybe you'll enjoy it more having already listened to the music a few times going in. So that's a great that's a great way to wrap us up here is last chance to put butts in seats, Danny. Like, why should the parents take the kids to go see Fancy Nancy the Musical? Because I think it's a really fun show and I think you're going to have a great time at it. And it, it's it has it has a good lesson. And 
it has some fun music. I, I'm biased, of course, about that, but <laughs> but I, I think it has some fun music that that you're gonna enjoy, and certainly the kids out there will will enjoy it a lot. I know, like you said, you know, little little kids, especially little girls, just really really love this story and these characters, and it, it's you know they also dress up to go a lot of the time, and and you know kind of do a little bit of cosplay, dressing up like Nancy. And uh, yeah, no, I, I think it, it it's fun. It's fun for the whole family. There's also some some humor for parents in there too. So it, it's definitely, you know, something that everyone of, of any age can enjoy. Oh, great. Thank you for that. So everyone linked in the show notes to go buy, <laughs> buy your tickets. Danny Haybosh, thank you so much again for coming on the DFT podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Full, full circle moment right here. And that's our show. Please share this podcast to help support the work of Deerfield Family Theater. An even better way to support DFT is to go see Fancy Nancy the Musical. Visit DeerfieldTheater.com to purchase tickets. As always, links are in the show notes. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your preferred listening app to never miss an episode. Until next time, thanks to everyone who continues to support the arts. We'll see you at the theater. 